Peter Windmill. How pleasant of you to join us. This party's over. Sebulba, that's your name, right? Yes, hello, Parth. It's interesting that you come here for the Attack of the Clones Part 2 discussion, given your lack of an appearance. Speak on that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, oh. not in a, you're not in episode two. Oh, I guess that's true. I, I should have been called Watto since I texted Parth in the middle of the movie saying, oh my god, I would have bet $1,000 that Watto wasn't in this movie, and there he is. <laughs> um, we also have a third contestant, a returning, a returning guest, uh, a member of our second episode ever, The Last Jedi discussion. Welcome back. Short-term friend, Zach Basile. Uh, hello, short-term friend. Uh, I recently got my dual citizenship. I am a nice. U.S. citizen and a Kaminoan citizen. So if you need <laughs> yeah, any that's, clones. That's a hard one to get, isn't I, it? I, it's, difficult. it's difficult. I was thinking about getting a vacation house in Kashyyyk, but I'm like worried there might be like a droid war there like a few years from yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Wait. yeah. No, def- definitely. Wait, do you guys want to winter on Hoth? I was just going to say, I had a vacation home on Mandalore, and it didn't pan out well. Mm. Totally, totally lost my investment. I, th- I think I'd rather have my winters on Mustafar. <laughs> Wait, I want to keep naming Star Wars planets, but we need to get out of the way what we've all eaten. I had an Oreo cookie. Just the one, though. Um, I had, um, I was on my way to work, and I it started in like 10 minutes, and so I made a smoothie and a scrambled egg. I threw it in some Tupperware, and then I ate it at work. I had two slices of avocado toast prepared by yours truly. Whoa. Very nice, very Whoa. nice. Wait, Zach, are Did we- Did you see- do that on Camino or in the U.S. of A? That was on Camino. Yeah, I wanted to make sure my clone army was being appropriately developed. Wait, Zach, we're seeing a film a few hours from now. What film is mm-hmm. that? I think it's um, Spider-Man No Way Home. A film that Parth saw not, not long ago. I, I saw it last night. This a- is true. And Parth- What time your- did you- yeah, yeah, what time did you see it? Uh, 7.30. <laughs> Well, seven twenty-five to be exact. That early? I thought you could. I thought you had to go at like midnight. Wait, was it like jam-packed? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I got my tickets on the second day that they. It was like possible to buy tickets, and even then, it was like I was. I'm shocked I was able to get three in a row tickets in a with seats in a row, but I, I was able to. Zach, didn't you buy them like a month ago? I bought mine, uh, my tickets on Spider Monday. Uh, fun fact, Trent, you are actually, you stole your seat from a handicapped person. Wait. Wow. Is that so? Am I in the handicap accompaniment zone? Wait, I, I hope I'm not like standing tonight because at, at times <laughs> I've bought like the handicap seat and then it's like, this is for a person in a wheelchair, in which I'm case kidding. it's like BYOC. Bring your own no, chair. there's you're you're not in the handicap seat, but I just wanted to characterize you for the audience because I've seen you do it. We are like about one foot from the screen. So. Oh, are we? <laughs> Yo, dude, gotta stay for the post credit scene. Any? I'm sure. I heard there were two post credit scenes, so there I'll are. be there. Is that always a there. thing, or is there usually one? Yeah. Nowadays, nowadays there's two. I think unless you're Guardians, unless you're Guardians of the Galaxy volume two in which case you have five post-credit scenes uh, like that... MC- mcu's post-credit scenes are becoming like youtube ads where just like there's more and more and we're not allowed to question it you know and they're just going to keep adding on can i ask you guys a silly question please did you did you see venom 2 let there be carnage venom no no but i have seen the post-credit scene venom. 
Let's talk about it. I haven't seen any of the Venom movies, so I'm in no well, position. Well, Trent, Trent, let's. How about this? How about we cut to the intro, and then we can talk about it on the other the, side. Yeah, because the thing is, the intro music. What people don't know is, once we enter that, it's a vacuum of time and space. So however, however long we want to be in there, and however long we want to talk about Venom and Spider-Man, Venom. we can do that for as long as we want. But when we're back, time resumes uh, normally. Wait, but if we talk about Venom, then the Sony lawyers are going to come after us. But if we talk about Spider-Man, then the Marvel lawyers are going to come after us. Well, Sp- Spider-Man's owned by Sony, so. I, apparently I don't know anything. Fuck me. I guess let's start the episode then. Yeah. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film and have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. Last week we talked with Mark Sexton, storyboard artist for Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Trent, um, how was that? Was it cool or was it like awful? Our interview with storyboard artist Mark Sexton? Yeah, 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 that. Oh, um, I really enjoyed myself. Um, we asked him questions, he answered. Need I say more? Um, but this is prequel winter, ladies and gentlemen, and so we're here to discuss the prequels. Um, and we, we are, we are talking about the second movie now in this prequel trilogy. And Trent, you've brought along, I believe you called them your short from short term friend, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. He accompanied us to talk about the second film and the sequel franchise. And now he's here for the, for the prequels. Um, sure. Zach Basile, high school friend. Hello, hello, hello. And recent Kaminoan citizen. Thank you. Yeah, no, congratulate him. Trent, you're in charge of these discussions. Can you add in, like, a cheer sound effect for for Zach? Yeah, uh, Zach, can you just hold up your passport to the camera for everyone to see? Oh, Oh, wow, no, your picture looks really nice. We've erected a clone army, and I'd say let's just let let them fight those droids, all right? All right, uh, should we start off with our synopsis? Hmm? I guess so. do, oh, should we make Zach do a 10-word synopsis? Yes. Zach, there's a new feature to the show where okay. where the celebrity guest has to describe the film in 10 words or less. Okay. Padme in danger, secret clone army, Jedi can help? With a word okay. to spare. Wow. Mo- well done. Most of the time, people do 11 words and hope that we don't notice. But you? Oh, no. You've got an insurance word. I was flying by the seat of my pants. I don't know how to count. The actual synopsis is 10 years after initially meeting, Anakin Skywalker shares a forbidden romance with Padme Amidala, while Obi-Wan Kenobi investigates an assassination attempt on the senator and discovers a secret clone army crafted for the Jedi. Significantly over 10 words. Trent, budget, box office, give it to me. So we've got a budget of $120 million and a box office of $653.8 million. That's like relatively disappointing for yeah, a Star Wars for movie. For a Star Wars movie. I mean, as you'll get into, it underperformed. It, let, how about you just get into the production history? Sure. Um, so after the mixed critical response to The Phantom Menace, George Lucas was hesitant to return to the writing desk. He completed a rough draft for episode two in March 2000, three months before the start of principal photography. He would then subsequently write another draft, and then for help with on his third draft, he got uh, Jonathan Hales, uh, who had written several episodes of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, 
and the final script was completed just one week before the start of principal photography, which is kind of insane. The film's working title was Jar Jar's Great Adventure, a sarcastic reference to the negative fan response to Jar Jar. Um, Plaza de España was the filming location for the Naboo Palace, and principal photography occurred between June 26, 2000 and September 20, 2000 at Fox Studios Australia in Sydney. Location shooting took place in the Tunisian desert at the Plaza de, de España in Seville, Seville, uh, I don't know, uh, London, China, Vancouver, San Diego, and Italy. Reshoots were performed in March 2001, and during this time, George Lucas developed the action scene in the Droid Factory after deciding the film lacked a quick enough pace in the corresponding time frame. The sequence's pre-visualization was rushed, and the live-action footage was shot within four and a half hours. And if you ever see the behind-the-scenes documentary stuff of that scene, it's kind of ridiculous the way they're shooting it, because the actors clearly have no idea what's going on. And Wait, to some extent, neither does George Lucas. The droid? The droid factory scene? It's just oh. them in a blue screen, like, running around, and George is like, uh, I don't know, uh, run, uh, on, be on your back, uh. R4 is really an R2 painted red, isn't it? Careful what you're saying about R4. Because you can get bopped on the head real quick. Of all the ridiculous shots and sequences in this movie, the sequence that stuck out to me as uniquely bad is in the droid factory when C-3PO, like, yeah. falls, and then he's just, like, getting decapitated and disemboweled, and it's the worst CGI madness I've seen in a long time. I, I love when it cuts from, like, practical Anthony Daniels in the costume, and then it so clearly is, like, R2-D2 shoving a CG... Just, like, like, the geometry of the way that C-3PO's arms can bend completely changes midair. Like, he folds. Yeah. C-3PO is an erect man. Anywho. Uh, <clears throat> Sorry. Anyways, uh, this is a kid's show, Trent. Um, because of Lucas's method of creating shots through various departments and sources that are sometimes miles and years apart from each other, Attack of the Clones became the first film ever to be produced through what Rick McCallum called virtual filmmaking. Attack of the Clones furthered several technological developments and effectively moved Hollywood into the digital age with the use of the HDW F900 developed by Sony and Panavision, a digital camera using an HD digital 24 frame system. Lucas stated that he wanted to film The Phantom Menace on this format, but Sony was not able to build the camera quickly enough. In 2002, Attack of the Clones became the third film to be released that was shot entirely on a 24 frame digital camera. The cameras recorded in 16 by 9 HD cam format 1080p, although the image was cropped to 241 widescreen ratio. The area above and below the 240 extraction area was available for Lucas to reframe the picture as necessary in post-production. The film relied almost solely on digital animatics as opposed to storyboards in order to pre-visualize sequences for editing early on in the film's production, which I feel like that our interview with Mark Sexton where he says that there was literally no other storyboard artist working on the movie other than him in Australia furthers that information. The outplacement firm Challenger Grand Christmas predicted that U.S. companies would lose about $319 million in productivity due to employees calling, calling in sick and heading to theaters to see the movie. It premiered as part of the inaugural Tribeca Film Festival at the BMCC Performing Arts Center in New York City at a Sunday, May 12th set of screenings benefiting the Children's Aid Society, a charity supported by George Lucas. 
Attack of the Clones was then screened out of competition at the 2002 Cannes Film Festival before getting a worldwide theatrical release on May 16th, 2002. It was also later released in IMAX theaters, but it had not been filmed for IMAX, but was upconverted with digital remastering processes. Because of the technical limitations of the IMAX projector at the time, an edited 120-minute version of the film was presented. I would say release the shorter cut. Remember when Star Wars movies were summer blockbusters and not just released at Christmas time? It's pretty awesome. Oh, Trent, wait, hit me with some fun hear, facts. Do you want to hear the fun facts now? Yeah, that'd be cool. Just before Anakin goes to search for his mother on Tatooine, he has a conversation with Senator Amidala. The camera pans to their shadows as they talk, and Anakin resembles that of Darth Vader. According to the DVD audio commentary, the Vader-like shadow that Anakin casts was not a visual effect, but a coincidence. When Jango Fett gets into his ship after his fight with Obi-Wan, he banks his head on the partially open door. This was intentional and is a reference to the famous goof from Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, where a stormtrooper accidentally bangs his head on a door. Um, quick note about this. I looked this up because I wasn't sure about it, and there was a whole YouTube conspiracy about how this fact isn't true, and there's a frame-by-frame breakdown of Jango Fett's head narrowly missing the door. So um, Samuel Jackson has had has said that the words bad motherfucker engraved on the hilt of his lightsaber, the same words that are famously printed on the wallet of Jackson's character Jules Winfield in Pulp Fiction. Now, I want you to go in that bag and find my wallet. Which one is it? It's the one that says bad motherfucker. Uh, The entire aggressive negotiations conversation during the dinner scene between Anakin and Padme was ad-libbed by... Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman at George Lucas's request due to his not being happy with the romantic dialogue that he wrote for the scene. And the only Star Wars film that was not the top grossing film of the year in North America, this one placed behind Spider-Man and The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And uh, with an estimated budget of $120 million, this was the most expensive Star Wars film until uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens in 2015 with an estimated budget of $200 million. I'm amazed that the budget for Revenge of the Sith wasn't higher than this. Being that I was, was going to say. Being that that movie is this movie, but better and bigger, you know? Although, well, one thing that might be part of the thing is that this movie, while not using them particularly well, created a lot of technologies that I guess were perfected upon, but then they then also cost less money to use later yeah, on. Yeah, because I read that in the first movie they weren't even comfortable with having like a CGI Yoda hopping around and then yeah. clearly in the three-year span they felt comfortable enough for that. So I- ILM had to be doing something. Parth, I was thinking about um, how all of my comments for The Phantom Menace could sort of just be copy and pasted onto this movie. Those are some pretty negative comments. Uh, <laughs> it's almost like you could write a a one-star review of this movie. Good Whoa, time. look at that. Yeah, look at me. I'm awesome. Uh, now, Zachary Basile. Yes, sir. Would you read our first one-star review for us? I would love to. Just like that, we're into the next section. <clears throat> a review by That's Mr. Grinch to You. The weakest movie in the franchise, one out of five stars. Though a slightly better Blu-ray master over episode one, this movie is barely watchable. Nothing happens. Wow. That, that's what made me think of The Phantom Menace, because our take, because we got into the chat of The Phantom Menace, and Parth's like, it's amazing, because this in this movie that's two hours long, nothing really happens. And this one is two and a half hours long. Yeah. And similarly so, not that much goes down. Uh, in this next review by Joseph E. McFan, um, it is titled, Not Me, 
and it reads, I didn't order it. My daughter did. But I changed my password. Well, there's a happy ending to this story. So it seems like there won't be another incident. Um, because in the McFan household, if you, if you rent Star Wars Attack of the Clones once, the password's getting changed. Okay? All right. On to our last review. This is by Michelle titled it's sad to have all the rich dialogue you'll you'll see where this is going it's sad to have all the sat okay it's sad to have all the rich dialogue storyline and acting of the great hollywood films of the 80s replaced by the over-reliance on computer graphics low-cut dresses and intense and unbelievable violence we have today it's a loss for star wars fans that the rest of the series isn't at the same level as the first two films i would say that rich dialogue is is not what the original trilogy is known for no i think people need to get it out of their heads that the original star wars trilogies were some like pinnacle of 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 a writing achievement like they're very good movies i think people just put them in the untouchable category and then they don't think about the elements in which it is not exemplary you know not only unbelievable violence intense violence um, I think they're mad about Padme's attire in, um, in like the, in the, what's it called? In like the big monster brawl thing. And let me tell you, Star Wars needed a sex symbol and I'm here for it. And also Hayden Christensen, he's fucking hot in this movie too. Yes. Not as good as he looks in the next one. Is, the long hair suit. I don't know if that's a hot take. I think it's not, but. In episode two. And now he's got this big Imperial army, but it's not Imperial yet. But it's, it's the stormtroopers, the outfits, the weapon systems to counter this outside threat run by Count Dooku, the, the Osama bin Laden guy that actually works for him, and they meet in secret. Now, in episode three, he launches an attack on the Imperial capital himself. He launches an attack on New York. And then he gets captured, and, and then he sets up Count Dooku to get killed, and then he seduces to the dark side Anakin Skywalker to make him Darth Vader. And in the end, he then sets up, after he has the police state in place, he sets up the Jedi and says they're terrorists and has the anti-terror forces go in and wipe them out. And then he says he's launching a global uh, intergalactic war uh, to bring peace. He and, he and Obi-Wan switch hairstyles, essentially, in the next movie. Wow. And, and they are both better suited to what they have in episode three, I think. Well, should we get into the meat and potatoes? Sure. Uh, should we ha- uh, have our guest talk about, I don't know, Gives a soft, a soft introduction to what's working and what's not working in the film? All right, so... Wait, which half are we starting on? Positive or negative? I think I want to start with the negative, just because it looms, it's looming like a thundercloud, you know? And I think the biggest, like, one of the bigger problems I have with it is that we have the first episode in this trilogy, The Phantom Menace, which by all accounts should be doing like the heavy lifting with the exposition dump, right? Yeah. But then we do a 10-year time jump at the beginning of this one, and we're back to square one. Yeah. So now the which reason... Renders, that, yeah. Be, be, the, because in New Hope, you're doing so much heavy lifting. You have to build the whole world, but then you just do a little time jump, and then you don't need to right. do any... You don't need any more building blocks. You can exactly. just have fun. Exactly. But... Meanwhile, in the first movie, not all that much happens. We get introduced to Anakin, Padme, Qui-Gon. He dies. Darth um, Maul dies. Well, dies, at least yeah. he's, cut, he's cut in half, but as, as far as Star yeah, Wars yeah. goes, we all that, saw Solo. that we doesn't all saw mean Solo. that you're dead. And I really think that's where this movie takes a big hit, is in it's bogged down by, you know, 
there's a lot in a political situation, which is what these movies are. They're political. There's a, a 10 year time gap is, is hum humongous. Like now you need to be completely caught back up with what's going on. Even yeah. though I guess the trade federation is still involved and equally as uh, symbolically racist. <laughs> no, I love when they, when they go uh, shoot them or something. Yeah. yeah. That was, that was their biggest contribution to this movie. Yes. She can't do that. Shoot her or something. Do you guys know the scene where Count Dooku is trying to like rally support for like them to sign the treaty and the, and, uh, Obi-Wan is like spying on them and they go they like cut around the table and there's all these different CGI creatures. That yeah. is that is like nothing short of just like a disgrace. No. In, in terms I, of what? I was just sitting there, I'm like, what are we doing, guys? <laughs> I'm like, this is bad, and this is a terrible section of an already bad thing. I am quite convinced that ten thousand more systems will rally to our cause with your support, gentlemen. The Techno Union Army is at your disposal, Count. Their banking clan will sign your treaty. Good, very good. I mean, like, I, I don't think this movie is, um, it has good ideas in it. Uh, I think of episode one and two i think this has more story to it that like matters well, uh which this like this movie does have main characters which helps yeah th <laughs> th that's that was the thing that we were like landing on so hard on the first movie is that it is like one of the few films i've ever seen that genuinely has no protagonist and this one does <laughs> which is good except that your main protagonist like sucks and is like awful throughout the entire movie I think the problem is that George Lucas didn't doesn't understand character arcs at this point when he's writing episode two. And and it's funny because when we interviewed Mark Sexton, we're on a marked term basis, he was like, oh, he, he whenever you would ask something, he would answer in terms of like backstory. And I think that's that mentality is what bogs down at least these first two films that I've rewatched, which is that there's so much thought into the intricacies of like the minutia and the lore and the thing is when you're watching a movie none of that 100 percent matters really like it's nice to have it there if it's good but what matters is your characters what they're doing and how they change like it doesn't seem like george lucas understands that because the the, the one character with the chartable like arc is anakin that sh should be anakin in that he should be like nice old jedi that like we're seeing become darker and darker through the problems that he encounters in this movie yeah the problem being he's like an awful whiny like baby the I... entire movie like yeah, from he... his opening scene Yes. Yeah, I, I, I thought the exact same thing. I was like, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to lay the foundation for him, like, lashing out in tiny ways. But I'm like, he's already just, like, a dick. So much so that, like, it's clear he's he doesn't respect his master. And he's going to overthrow him. And he's, and he's, like, creepy towards Padme. He's like, you're exactly the way I remembered you in my dreams. Like, unprompted. <laughs> in, like, their, one, their first scene together alone. It's really bizarre. Yeah, well, yeah. we we talked about this before we got on air, but in the in their first scene together, Anakin just like stares at her, giving <laughs> giving her bedroom eyes, and she's like, "Anakin, 
don't do that. Makes me uncomfortable. And yeah. over And then this- he kisses her and she's like, I shouldn't have done that. I'm like, what? And then two weeks later, they're all married. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, you, you have a, what, a few you have a few near death experiences and uh, all that shared trauma. That's enough to build a life on. Please don't look at me like that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Sorry, my lady. At the end of their first scene, as she's leaving, Padme says, "You'll always be that ten-year-old boy I met on, on right? Tatooine." And then two weeks later, they're married. <laughs> that that's alarming. About it's uh, it's just like shocking to me. Like the ten-year gap. Again, we said this in our Phantom Menace one. He should not have been ten years old in the first movie, or nine, or however old old he is. He should have been the age he is here, if maybe a few years younger. But it's shocking to me that they have the story be that he never sees her for 10 years. Because if you want me to believe that, like, they fall in love, they should have, like, maybe seen each other grow and, like, work together. And so they have an established relationship. Because that way, from the beginning of the movie, you're working with, oh, these people that have known each other for, like, 10 years or whatever. And now they're starting and like they only saw each other as friends and now they're friends to lovers you know what i mean like forbidden love like you could still have all of that but it just makes so much more sense if you continue the goodwill that you have from phantom menace and just like carry that over but does the exact same thing it does exactly what you're saying zach it hits the reset button for no reason it's not like it like wants to introduce a different love interest or something like it's for no reason it just does that let me share a grievance that has nothing to do with anything. Um, this is about the female assassin from the beginning and <laughs> her being a shapeshifter and me having yeah. no idea about this until like a year ago. I always just thought that she got hit with the poison dart and then she just like shrivels up. Um, but no. It dehydrates her. <laughs> yeah, no, but she's an alien. Yeah. Well, yeah. if we want to get into that, she's a changeling and she doesn't change into... Any like her one thing is that she can change into things, mm-hmm. and she doesn't change into anything. Yeah, why and run? She's being chased. I know, and, and and Obi-Wan is like she's a changeling. She could be anywhere, and she be chooses... extra careful. Yeah, and she chooses not to. Yeah. Another... She should have been the Death Sticks guy. Yeah, I'd like to think that maybe the Force would have revealed who she was, regardless of uh, like you know, that would have Wouldn't that have been a cool scene? That would have been. I would have loved to see that. <laughs> Parth, you're joking about the death sticks, and I read something in the trivia, and it was like, George Lucas named this fictional addictive drug death sticks in reference to cigarettes, and then it goes, within the universe, death sticks, much like cigarettes, um, are very addictive, and after each one, your craving for each increases, and eventually, they'll kill you. And I was like, thanks, George Lucas, you really needed to spend so much time on that. You want to buy some death sticks? You don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life. Trent, can I ask you a question? Sure. Do I want a death stick? You want to buy buy some death sticks? Another thing I realized... Okay, so do you remember when you guys were kids and you would watch Star Wars and the opening crawl would come up and you would be like, those are words. Mm, Yeah. But I can't... I can't... And will not read them. And if I did, there would be no point. And then I reached a point where I was like 16. And I was like, oh, I know how to read now. Those are words. Republic, Galaxy, Skywalker. Great. And now I read them at the age of 20 with like a full understanding of English. 
grammar, commas. It's interesting. It takes you 20 years to fully comprehend your native the language, language but continue. Every day, and, yeah. a- and after these 20 years, I realize that the words mean nothing again. They're not. Yeah, you you kind of have to revert back. It's shocking how bad the opening crawls are for the prequel trilogy. At, like the prequel, like the opening crawl for the first one, necessary. And after that, it's kind of just like saying stuff that isn't that important, but just continuing on with the trend of having an opening crawl. Yeah. What's more shocking is that the opening crawls could get worse in the sequel trilogy. I think the one in The Palpatine Force Awakens is okay, and then after that, it's, like, all stupid. Palpatine returns! Somehow. Somehow. Palpa- Palpatine has returned. We've decoded the intel from the First Order spy, and it confirms the worst. Somehow Palpatine returned. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, we're bleeding. We're bleeding. Guys, we, we have to talk about this bad Star Wars movie, not the okay. other bad Star Wars movie. But there's so many bad Star Wars movies to choose it's from. It's true. I, I, are there more bad Star Wars movies than good? Like, defi- no, like define know. good. Like, I, I mean, honestly, uh, at this like point, I guess, yes. I, I guess I like more than I dislike. Or, like, I enjoy watching more than I... Like, I don't... I didn't even, like, hate myself watching the majority of this movie. I think partially because I've, like, Stockholm syndrome myself into liking <laughs> watching it from watching it so much as a kid. So, like, it doesn't, like the awfulness of it doesn't like register for most of the movie until like the last half hour where i was like this is so much fucking nonsense like all of the like battle like it was just like this is so bad there there was a point in the arena battle just like it's already going on for so long and then they're circled again it's like it goes through like several arcs of like the Jedi's are screwed and then they're rescued and then they're screwed again and then they're rescued again. Yeah. And right as they're <clears> surrounded <throat> for the second time and then the Jedi ships swoop in, I'm like, we're just starting another battle? Like we exactly. just did the same <laughs> battle in the same place and now there are just a few more elements and we're gonna have the same battle. I, and like that's the thing with the whole movie. Like there's such an over reliance on lightsabers. Like anything happens and they fucking pop a bad boy one out and it's like you don't need lightsabers for literally everything. Like it's shot and it like completely like deflates any like Anakin ruins Oh, this like, is cool. Anakin ruins like three lightsabers in this movie. Like it's a yeah. bit. It's and, like such a stupid bit. And I was thinking about it. Okay, so like the best lightsaber battle pretty objectively is the one at the end of Empire between Darth Vader and Luke. Cool. Yeah. And that's like one lightsaber battle and it goes through all these different settings and it's about and it's just like these two characters and it's continuous and they're saying words at each other. And then the big lightsaber battle in this one is with Count Dooku and Anakin and Obi-Wan at the end. And with and them Yoda. Yeah, and with Yoda. And with them the shtick is it's all in the same place, but just the parties involved keeps rotating. And I'm like, I just it just Count Dooku like dropping rocks on them. And like <laughs> and just facing them one at a time. While we're on the subject of little fucking Yoda, this mm-hmm. movie, like, I I think other than what ends up happening in the sequel trilogy, which we're not going to talk about that, but... We'll talk about that it, next week on the show. Yeah. Uh, it's shocking to me how badly the Force is, like, misunderstood by George Lucas like it, it really bothers the creator, me. That, the creator, that count, of the that count Dooku is like, we can't determine the winner of this contest by our skills in the Force. 
we need to do it by, like, fighting with our fucking lightsabers. Mm-hmm. And, like, his skills with the Force is, like, throwing a pipe with the Force. <laughs> hey, or electric shocky-shocky. And then, like, crumbling a little bit of the building. I... And then y- Yoda comes in and is, like, stick and is walking, like, really old and decrepit. Crippled. And he's, Crippled. like, he's, like, <laughs> Yoda, am I? I mean, it's a horrible Yoda voice, but you know what I mean. Like Yoda's speech pattern in the originals is endearing. Like, oh, it's kind of backwards, and here it, it doesn't just, work at all. Here, I was just, okay. like, the sentences are too wordy. When Yoda was command, okay, first of all, Yoda should not be a military general. But here's no. Yoda commanding a, a fleet of clones to go intercept Count Dooku or whatever, and he literally says something like. Go to intercept the ship. We must. That like, was that, that has was no business. There's no it's, business saying the word intercept. It's weird because the prequel trilogy keeps, like, I, it's like a double-edged sword because I I appreciate what it does to like expand the universe and it does create like a lot more worlds and interesting like backstory and all these like ships and droids and all this shit that's really cool and different and not at all like the original trilogy but it still feels the need to like cram in like yoda like the the clone army is a random thing they reference just like in there and they have to put it in here and like yoda has to be in here and c-3po has to be built by anakin and r2d2 also needs to be on their mission and also jango fett needs to exist for, and for Boba Fett to exist. For Boba Fett. But why does Boba Fett have to be in this? Boba Fett is some random bounty hunter in Empire Strikes Back. There's literally no re- reason for him to exist in this movie. Other than remember this. But all it does is make the universe feel smaller. Yeah, my exact thought with Jango Fett, because, you know, as a kid, I was like, well, those little, those dual-wielding pistols are pretty cool. <laughs> Jetpack, pretty cool. But now... I thought, okay, so they did Jar Jar, and it clearly didn't work, and so they thought, who's our fan favorite character? And they said, Boba Fett, and they said, well, we can't put Boba Fett in this movie, and so let's just carbon copy Boba Fett. Literally. And and let's just throw him into the movie for no fucking reason, and he'll be big and on the poster, even though he's very minor, and he'll get decapitated around the hour 15 mark. Cool. Okay. And serves little to no story purpose beyond he is the person he, he that is they're a, cloning he is a way well, well, to on, incite conflict in the first two-thirds of the movie because otherwise there would be no battle scenes point of clarity is Django fett a mandalorian no okay so then uh, I, mean, like, I, I don't really, think so i can't rat so it would make sense if, if Django fett was like this masterful you know like fighter or something incredible and that's why they base their clones off of him but like, like he's basically just there and then Mace Windu doesn't even he doesn't even try when he kills no. him. Like it's <laughs> like like uh, I like again like I'm not going to include whatever's done in the Mandalorian. I've seen the first season. I haven't seen the second mm. season. But like at the time of creation, Jango Fett is just some guy. It's not some guy that they've like tested on and they're like this is the perfect human. <clears throat> yeah. Like they they Captain America him or something. Yeah, like, no. It's... <laughs> he's literally some bounty hunter guy i'm always a little bit confused by the fact that like okay we made this clone army and the clone army is cloned from this guy who we consider our enemy and then they're like okay well then the clones like won't be an issue like even though the person that even though the person they're based off of is an assassin who tried to kill our princess yeah, no, they'll, they'll be our army. Cool. If you uh, if you paid attention while we were on uh, Camino, they genetically 
alter them to be yeah to be very obedient so you could tell them well okay not to get this is i feel like i'm swinging between ideas but also when padme falls off the speeder and like a bunch of clones fall with her she just like gets up and she starts issuing orders to clones it's like well, are they obedient to everybody? Like, exactly. what knowledge do they have of Padme? Like, why are they accepting these orders from her? They seem like a terrible army. It's weird because there's, like, these big battle scenes that have to exist because George Lucas is, like... I, like, what's weird about this movie is that it's one big tech demo. Like, it's, I want to test out this camera, I want to test out these visual effects with no regard to how good they look or if it works. <laughs> and so he writes these huge battle scenes so that he can, like, make big things go boom... And it's just like, uh, what character is doing things right now? Uh, they can they can be a command. Yoda's there, sure. He can be a military com- commander. Yeah, why not? Like, like it, it 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 has no story purpose. It's just like shocking. It's just really bad. <laughs> you you want to know um, something that happened that I truly was in disbelief. Like, at this point, like, while it was happening, at, at this point, it's hard to have something take place in a Star Wars movie where I'm like, oh, I didn't know that happened, because I've seen them all by this point. Um, so Padme and Anakin are, like, picnicking in the grass field or whatever, and then they cut away, and then they come back, and Anakin is, like, riding, like, a big animal. Hippo. Yeah, like a big land hippo. hippo. watermelon. And then we just watch that for, like, <laughs> a minute, 90 seconds, and then we just cut away. Like, that was the whole scene. It's the animals with the big, like, they're, for whatever reason, like, there's a huge, like, rear end portion of the animal, right? Or am I, am I thinking of an animal? He's, in the... No, he's on, he's on its, like, neck or something, yeah. and he's riding, he's riding its neck, and then it, like, stumbles a little bit, and he yeah. goes, whoa! And then he fakes being dead. Yes. He's, like, lit- it's... he's literally the kid in the swimming pool at the hangout, face down, really hoping that his friends get concerned about it. FYI, that kid was Trent, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, big time. Is there anything? Wait, of course. There's more. There's more bad things to like, um, or talk about. But what, like, is what, there any good stuff? Here's a good thing that I have to say about this. Please. I think, in certain respects, the casting is impeccable. With I, I agree. I like Ewan McGregor. I don't hate uh, Hayden Christensen as much as anyone else does. Okay. I feel like he's people better like in him Revenge now. of the Sith. Yeah, he, well, people are psyched well, that he's pe- going to be in the Obi Wan Kenobi TV show. Pe- People yeah. just like to feel strongly in one direction or the other because we've yeah. really come full circle on this. I, th- I think people are just p- pissed off at the sequel trilogy now, and now with like sp- like rose-colored glasses, they're looking back yeah. at the prequel trilogy and they're like, "No, it's so good." Well, at least like, yeah, there was like a coherent plot. Yeah, I mean, there there's like a, a three-story plot. A lot plot. of thought went into the plot, which is the opposite. Like in yeah. a, in a lot of ways, the sequel trilogy and the prequel trilogy are like yin and yang yeah. of like why they don't work because the. This this trilogy has terrible visuals and like a lot of really poorly thought out CGI inclusions that don't look good, um, and generally kind of bad acting. And pretty much everything looks good in the sequels, but just what but, they're choosing to put on screen. It makes no yeah. sense. It makes no sense. <laughs> like uh, like I guess I respect this movie's again. It's just like visually so cool and different, and like all the like sound work like that speeder chase or whatever the fuck it is that happens with like obi-wan and anakin as they're trying to get the band like that's cool that's i really like that scene it was good it it, like looks kind of not like there's kind of meh cg but it's like fine you know what cg actually i thought worked and held up even 20 years later 
what were it was at least the praying mantis in the Colosseum. I yeah. looked at that and I was like, that you know that, that there's more CGI than that coming out in the year 2021. So. I felt like it had weight to it. Yeah, you know that that whole scene, like at least when the monsters are involved, like I'm pretty on board. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, I like. I hate to say it, like that is the centerpiece of the movie. Given that the Count Dooku stuff at the end is so anticlimactic, yeah. it's also like so badly shot. The Count Dooku stuff. It's just like, did you notice when it's Anakin versus him and they're like waving? Yeah, their blue and red lightsabers, and it's cutting to these two close-ups of the two of them, mm-hmm. and they just like flip the footage. Like, they're, they're fighting, and it's close-up, and Dooku's on the left, and Anakin's on the right. And then they cut to a wide shot, and they flip, like, they switch positions, and then mm. they take the same footage and just, like, horizontally flip it. It, <laughs> it looks terrible. I didn't pick up on that, but I believe you. No, it's... There, there's there's better fights before and after. The cross-cutting, like, continues to amaze me. It's less bad in this movie. Um, less bad as in there are less parties. Like, it's basically, you're yeah. either on Team Obi-Wan or you're on Team Anakin and Padme, which are, like, two teams that I would like to think that I'm down to hang out with. But it's that, the frequency at which it goes back and forth, it's just, like, there aren't sizable chunks. It's just, no. like, little, it's just, like, little moments. And then we're doing a big side wipe or a big, or a big Looney Tunes circle transition. And then we're just on another planet for, like, no discernible reason. It's it's kind of like a—it has the same problem as The Phantom Menace where it doesn't have a clear structure. Uh, it's kind of just, again, lore, things happening, but not necessarily the why and the how are thought out. And so, like, they're just cutting really haphazardly to keep the pace going. I don't think it would be—and maybe this is just because I saw this as a kid for the first time. I don't think there was anybody who sat down and watched Attack of the Clones for the first time and completely understood what was happening. No. Because if you like, if you could shut your brain off and just let the sequences take you through like the action, and you're like, okay, this is what's happening. But then you pause and you say, so hang on a second. A secret Jedi ten years earlier placed an order for 1.2 million clones, and they're just ready now. And a bounty hunter recently sent an assassin to kill this senator, and that's why we found out about it. And now we're just going to take it. Zach, no sense. Zach, you made a good observation that 1.2 million clones. Uh, in terms of the galaxy, would be pretty pretty useless. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's really not a sizable army. And also that they've been working on this order for ten years, and no one they never like, contacted. No them. one followed yeah. up, and they're like, "Hey, we're seventy five percent through this <laughs> army. Give us and they par- and they were like, oh, this is payment. This is gonna happen. the The order's gonna come through on time. Ten years later." Yeah. It's also fucking lucky that they ordered it 10 years. If, if it needs 10 years to build, they're lucky yeah. that it got ready right as their dilemma was coming to a head. So to be clear, I thought I understood it, but it was Count Dooku who placed the order, right? I believe so. Right. Yeah, he does it under the like secret identity Durant. of Sifo Diaz or whatever the fuck his name was. Yeah, it was whoever I- was on the Jedi Council 10 years ago but got is now dead. Can we Can we talk about... Um, how Jar Jar is, like, put in a role to, like, really change the course of the universe. And I just, was gonna say. Because I never you're told- talking about you're, you're talking about characters, I was thinking about it, when you were talking about character arcs. 
And yeah. if nobody got a bigger character arc than Jar Jar, who goes from an idiot just like bumbling around a battlefield, he's on a diplomat a... now. Yeah, he's a senator by the end of it, and he votes to re- to revoke the to to crown the emperor. Like nobody has a more consequential character arc than Jar Jar. I I love how Padme is like, all right, Jar Jar, I'm leaving. I'm leaving all of my responsibility to you, the stupidest person in this <laughs> franchise. Here, here's the power to change everything. And even when, even when Jar Jar is making the like, Misa, uh, uh, think that we should put uh, uh, emergency powers. Like even when he's doing that, he's saying it in like a stupid way. And like I had it with subtitles on, and he's like swapping the first letter of words with each other. And I'm like, this is so. Stupid. General Bellingham, in response to this direct threat to the Republic, Misa proposed that the Senate give immediately emergency powers to the Supreme Chancellor. That's such a big, if you, when it plays out in the movie, if you miss it, it kind of doesn't matter in the context of the movie realistically in terms of this trilogy that is when he goes from like chancellor to like powerful chancellor is like causing like overtly all of the shit that's about to go down wouldn't you want like padme to make that decision and like it would be way more impactful when it all goes to shit because it's like oh someone important was misled and like that can happen but it's like like, oh we put the we made the dumbest person in the united states the president and then things went bad Huh. Didn't we do that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> nice. Well, hey, Don Jr. wasn't president. It was his dad. <laughs> right, 2028, 2028. The music's good. I was just, soundtrack's good. I was just going to say, like, I know I criticized the music in the last episode, but and they did recycle the Duel of Although, Fates in this for a little bit, which is weird. I, I will say this. The music is good, but it pisses me off because they use themes for other characters during scenes in which those characters are not present. Yeah. Like, during the droid factory bat chase thing that happens, Yoda's theme plays for no discernible reason. When he's on his speeder, the Duel of the Fates theme plays. Yes, it does. For no discernible reason, other than th- this sounds cool right now. And it's just like such a weird decision. Like, I, and like- I don't know if that's John Williams' fault or if that's like George Lucas and the music editor's fault. <laughs> I just liked the Padme theme whenever Padme and Anakin were hanging out. What, you want to enter the Radiance Gauntlet, or does anyone have anything else? Uh, I don't. I think. Uh, I don't know. I don't well, have many good things to say. Wait, I have Just one. Go- I have one question. good. Wait, oh, no, 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 please no, say no. your good thing. All right, you ask your question after. Well, my good thing is the one time that I liked Hayden Christensen's performance, or like exceptionally so. I didn't hate it outright. Um, was after he killed all the sand people, and he was like really angry. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. You fucking killed those women and children. I killed them all. They're dead. Every single one of them. And not just the men. 
but the women and the children too. They're like animals and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. Huh. But it's the like side, off, it's offset by her. Yeah, go ahead. On I think you're going to say what I'm saying. Well, I was just going to bring up the scene where he's having a nightmare in bed and it's literally just like Hayden Christensen, like muscly, <laughs> no, bold. No. Yeah. He's like, no, no. He's like yelling no in his sleep. It's not good. I hate, I, I hate how movies think that people just like sit around and like breathe deeply and then that can be like a shot in of itself. It'll be like Anakin breathes deeply. You're like, nope, that's not an action. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's breathing deeply all the time. No. No. Oh, no. No. Parth, it seems like you're kind of acting like one of the dead sand people right now. Hmm. Interesting. Well, one of those dead sand people, you know what they love to do? What? You, do you know what those dead sand people, do you know where they like to go? Where? Just just ask where. Yeah, thanks, right. They love to go into the ratings gauntlet. Which, which is where All I right. want to go. So, Zach, we have a new thing that after we say the ratings gauntlet, we drop a nuclear bomb sound effect, and then we all have to scream like the fallout is just hitting. Yeah, my skin! It's burning! Zach, wow, right. Zach, the explosion just hit. Kill me! Kill me! Right. Oh, we're doing it right now? I thought you were Yeah, no, it's happening, me. it's happening, it's happening. Okay. Hey, what is that bright light? It was a quick consideration, I'm sorry. I know, I guess it's, it doesn't make sense that even though it's a nuclear bomb, our impression is like as if you have time to react to the explosion that is the nuclear bomb. Because it's kind of like, oh, there's that, and then just nothing. For yeah, I could scream in agony if you, if you want me to do that instead. I just figured... Do one, ju do one just be safe, just for the edit. <laughs> kill me! Kill me! Alright, um, I'd say now we're ready to rate the movie. Uh, who wants to go first? Is it five or ten? Ten. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. I could just yeah. No half stars, well, bro. Well, well, first we start off with, uh, would you recommend it, and would, would and you rewatch it, or like how rewatchable is it? This is the gauntlet part of the ratings gauntlet. Sure. Sure. So Zach, if you'd like to say how rewatchable you find this movie and whether you'd recommend it, and then your out of ten rating. So on a time scale of like maybe once every eight years, I would rewatch this movie like once a decade, maybe just because I've only been alive for two decades, but I have watched it about once a decade or so now. And each time I find new things that are, are interesting to me, um, I would rate it like just as an overall quality and not so as a film, like not in the greater like nine movies Star or six Wars movies. context, yeah. It's like a one or two out of ten. It's really it's it's, it's <laughs> No, hard. because if, if you viewed it individually, like it's actually it kinda would... it's actually kinda pathetic. Like this and Phantom <laughs> Menace are both like sad. And like yeah. like yeah. if someone yeah. without an understanding of the Star Wars universe went and saw this, they'd be like, Why would you do that to me? <laughs> like like it'd literally be cruel. It's it's it I think it deserves I think I've always said that this is the worst Star Wars movie, sequels included, and I think that remains my opinion. I, I think for what it's worth, this is more watchable than The Phantom Menace. Yes, I, I would agree. 
And it's funny the, that this menace had like pod racing, which was like, but there were so few pod racing moments in. There's in, little like... to no pod racing in this film. You're correct. No, but that. I mean like a moment of the same like interest and in, in caliber. Yeah, there's no. Well, yeah, well, you're right. The, the Phantom Menace that has pod racing and it has Darth Maul, and Ooh, this face, kind though. of has nothing. But it's it just. <laughs> I like... just feel like throughout people are doing things yes. and that is not always the case in the phantom menace fair I, enough yeah i think fair everything enough. outside of what i singled out in the phantom menace is pretty unforgivable <laughs> and then this is just like bad but it's like spread out and yeah. so it's like yeah, pretty yeah. consistent levels yeah, okay. of bad okay. so at least i can like pace myself um That's with, fair enough. with that being said the curse of why i will never rewatch this movie is because if i ever was in the mood to watch a prequel i'd watch revenge of the sith and I would fall asleep in the first 30 minutes. Um, and it's amazing that that movie, like, kind of does as much as it does when it's preceded by two movies that do nothing. Yeah. And, like, it does have a lot of catching up to do. But, like, that movie being sensible at all is a complete miracle. All right, Trent. Trent, what do you... You enter the rating gaunt, ratings gauntlet now. Um, I'll give it, like, a three. Um, would I recommend it? Like, no will i re have i rewatched it no and will i no i ha literally haven't watched this since i probably saw it for the first time when i was like a child and i think claire appel our guest on last week's show made a very poignant point that the first two s prequels phantom menace and attack of the clones are best summarized through their levels in the lego star wars video game because for what it's worth like those make more sense than this does they're and more, more linear. entertaining yeah. Uh, would I recommend this only if you're like a Star Wars person that's like a completionist? Would I rewatch it only when I want to like, I feel like every few years I'll be like, maybe I'll like the prequels and I rewatch them and I go, Revenge of the Sith can, can be fun. And that's pretty much all it has to offer me. Um, they're just too long and boring to justify what little nice things they do have uh out of 10 like a 2.5 uh yeah i don't know it's not a good movie like I, th this movie like it it needed to save count dooku for like for anakin to complete his evil arc by killing him at the beginning of the next movie but like doing something with him at the end of this movie would have given it a little bit of gravitas it'd be like in the opening crawl this is who you're saying the villain is and now we're actually doing something with him and he doesn't just yeah. like fight once and then escape yeah, I think it doesn't help, and I'm sorry if this is. If we should have said this earlier. Please, these movies might be more rewatchable. I don't know how you feel about the animated Clone series television series, but I genuinely think that they contribute to the rewatchability. <laughs> Trent and I have some choice words for the Clone series. I know the animation is hard to watch, but like you can really get some of the best of Star Wars if you watch them. Are you on the same side of this, or are you opposed? I'd say. I mean, are you? I no. Well, Parth and I are on the same side, which I think is opposed to. I'm well. I'm not opposed to it. I just think that, like, whenever I've tried to watch the Clone Wars, I've always been like, "This is, this would have been my favorite show if when I was, I was like 15 years younger." Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Zach, like Zach, at your house, like several times, I think have we tried to watch Star Wars: The Clone Wars. And then, you know, falling asleep within the first 15 minutes because it's for children. Yes. Yeah, well, definitely. the And this is somebody who's who I've seen, like, numerous episodes. I've watched them. The first season is particularly childlike. And then they, they kind of kick into gear and, and it becomes a little bit less uh, 
Overtly for children. Overtly for children, which I mean, it is for children, so I can't complain, but yeah. uh, it definitely fills in a lot of the, because we miss so much characterization of Anakin between episodes two and three, that yeah. all of that is in the Clone Wars. I was just going to say, so since our, one of our complaints is that by the end of Attack of the Clones, like Anakin is already like a violent sociopath. It, it, does he behave that way for all of the Clone Wars? No, he's he's a, a respected general, and he has his own uh, Padawan. Ahsoka yeah, Osaka Tano. or whatever. What? <laughs> Osaka. Sorry, that's a Japanese tennis player. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my problem has always just been that like Anakin feels like a completely different character in the show. He's so inconsistently written. Like he feels like a different character in the third movie too, because he feels like a like a well-meaning person as mm. opposed to like a fascist like creep in this movie kind of but... sounds like a dictatorship to me <laughs> if, if well, topical. the problem is that people don't agree all the time well then they should be made to okay. <laughs> I, I i will say uh, from what i've seen and know about the last season that came out that seems pretty cool but, i don't know if it's worth for me going through six seasons of television to get to that though but do you know how people, like, grown adults are, like, peeing their pants over the Disney Plus show, like, The Bad Batch or whatever? Yeah. I've heard that's good also. Like, I'm sure it's fine, but, like, I don't even have the time to worry about The Mandalorian. You think I'm gonna go watch this animated Star Wars spinoff shit? I'm not. I mean, it's it's if you want a deeper insight into, like, the political machinations that George Lucas cooked up, like, this is his outlet for it. Because... You can waste any number of episodes doing something silly when you've got, like, however many episodes in a season, you know? Yeah. Meanwhile, in a movie, it's a much more limited format, and you can't waste two movies of your trilogy on exposition. Well, I mean, you can. You probably just shouldn't. You can, as as demonstrated here by... Does George Phantom Lucas Madison. have creative control on the show? I was under like, the impression that he was... Like, like yes and no. It's well, like it was back before Disney owned it. No, I, like, yes, in that he's, like, overseeing it, but not, no, but no, in that he's not, like, In the writer's it. room. Yeah. Like, he, he can probably, like, nix ideas, and they probably go to him, and they're like, does this fit in? And he'll be like, I don't know, maybe, sure. Put more Jar Jar in. Ha, wait, have you seen, uh, this will be, like, the last thing I say before we have to go out, but there is, in the behind the scenes for this movie, because Yoda was CG, they had to, and I think we might have mentioned this on another episode, but... All these CG artists are freaking out because, like, light needs to pass through Yoda's ear, and because of that, they need to know what color his blood is because that's that would determine how the light passes through his ear. And they're flipping out because they're like, we can't find it. Where's the answer? Where's the answer? Oh, my God, we don't know. And then they go to George Lucas, and they're like, George, what color is Yoda's blood? And he just goes, um, I don't know, um, green? Like, does not he's, give a fuck about he's not this. Wrong. <laughs> but, like, why does he draw the line there? Like, like, why are, like, why are death sticks, like, why, why are they? Well, I don't think, I don't think he does that. I don't think he, like, I think he writes death sticks as, like, a funny little thing. And then some guy that's, like, in Lucasfilm, writing that, for Lucasfilm. Thinks that people won't understand the analogy to cigarettes. And then <laughs> des- describes the long-term effects of cigarette use. Thanks. Yes. Yeah, in my in the research, I was like, oh, fuck. I thought cigarettes were fine. No. I'm smoking them this whole time. Well, make sure to 
follow us on all of our social media, and leave us a good review, and it Wait. might help heal Trent's poor soul. Zach, would you leave a good review on our show? Oh, I've already left a good review. I, I think it's quite good. And five... you know what? Well, I'll tell you afterwards, but... Wait, five stars and everything? Five stars and everything, yes. Wow. Would nice. you recommend the show to a friend? Well, that's what I was going to say, is uh, an associate of mine, you know him as Wexler Destructo Trent, uh, recently took a class in a college, university, where he had to watch Sorry to Bother You. And I was like, well, listen, a good friend of mine, Parth, and this <laughs> idiot that he has a podcast with, yeah, um, made a podcast episode with Sorry to, about Sorry to Bother You, and you should watch it. And he watched it, and he's watched some other episodes, and you've got a new fan. Yeah, so watching, my, watching my our podcast episodes are the best. Not listening, watching. <laughs> I, okay, okay. Now I don't recommend it. And this is why I'm Zach's friend, and yeah, exactly. you're the little idiot that uh, co-hosts the show. Yeah, you're a little pedantic, if I do say so myself. All right. Well, now that the word pedantic's been broken out, I think we should all. I think we should all go our separate ways. All right. Uh, Zach, you, you, Zach, Zach, you are now in a hall of fame of return guests. Oh my yeah. god! This you has are, only been are... done to two other people. Yes. Oh. Y- you are the bronze medalist. You are the third person to come to the moon. So you're not Neil Armstrong. You're not Buzz Aldrin. We don't know. We don't. No one knows your name. Well, let me ask you this: Have you guys done Empire Strikes Back yet? We haven't done any of the original trilogy. So when, whenever we do the next oh. second, in I'm the... always here for the second. If, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you find yourselves in need of a guest, guest. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have to. Comp- that would just be completing the cycle. You know. Yeah. Our very own trilogy be... of Zachary Basile episodes. Well, right. um, I think we should. Um, go, go because yeah. Zach and I have to see Spider-Man like three hours from now, and I have uh, I have a lot of thinking to do before then. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually thinking maybe instead of Spider-Man, we could just watch the Phantom Menace and then the uh, Attack of the Clones in sequence. Wait, and then wait, Amazing wait. Spider-Man too, right? Wait, you guys have bought your tickets, right? Mo- for for oh, Spider-Man, like, like a month yeah. ago. Wait, what if you in, you should exchange them for tickets to Sing Two? I've heard that's pretty good. Oh. Okay, if we're going to bring up saying so close to the end of the episode, I will quickly say that yesterday I texted <laughs> not a friend not a friend of the show, Lily Peña, and I said, "Lily, the Sing 2 cast is way better than it has any business being." Um, the Sing 2 cast includes Taron Egerton, Bono, Scarlett Johansson, Eric Andre, Seth MacFarlane, Nick Offerman. Um, what the hell? Uh, Usher, sorry, Matthew McConaughey. There are just like famous people in Sing Two, like like famous people we like. Like it's an all star cast in Sing Two. So, so so our next after prequel winter, our next episode, you can watch out for our Sing Two interview. Parth, do you want to allude, like give a hint at like without saying? No, not yet, not yet, not yet. But let's just say we did a huge interview today, Uh, as. The day that we are recording this, we have uh, done a massive uh, over one hour, maybe over 90 minutes long interview. With, uh, and let's just say the new year, it's going to be Trent Parth versus the world. No? No? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's enough. Fuck Team Deacons.